Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. We are going to begin. Well, actually, Rabbi Shapiro is going to begin. Um, and we are, uh, we're talking today about Parashat Shlach, which is also known sometimes as Parashat Shlach Lecha. Why, why do you do Shlach? I say Shlach Lecha. Why, why do you say Shlach? Because that's the name of the Parsha. The name of Parsha Shlach Lecha. Okay. Um, and uh, I will let Rabbi Shapiro take us through a little summary before we get to our verse. Uh, getting into some interesting narrative over the next couple of weeks. Um, so this is the story about uh, someone from each tribe is sent over into the land of Canaan. Uh, spoiler alert, it doesn't go in. Sh- uh, I guess I'll just, uh, this is agents here, which sounds cool. Secret agent Israelites. Um, God's just most saying, send these people out into the land. Um, a lot is spoken about shlach lecha because uh, he's being told, send it for yourself. Like this, this is something that y'all seem to need, right? You should just trust me, but y'all seem to need, all y'all seem to need uh, some additional scouting. So uh, sending someone from each tribe to go scout out the land, uh, we get a nice list. Oh, Israelites, one from each tribe. Um, they go into the land. Moses says, here is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Uh, tell us what you find. Is it a good country, a bad country? Are the towns they live in open or fortified? Which is always one of the first things I consider moving somewhere. Uh, is it wooded? Or not. Uh, and bring back some fruit. Great. Uh, so they did that. Says verse 21. They went up and down and all around the town. Uh, and they got a big old bunch of grapes. So if you've ever seen that art, that shows two dudes carrying a big old bunch of grapes. Uh, and it's Amidbar 1323 is where we hear about the big old bunch of grapes. Um, so they bring the grapes back and they come back after 40 days, which as we know is a classic time period of the Torah. They go right to Moshe and Aharon and the whole community and they made their report. And here is what they said. It is indeed Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it is a land filled with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, big old bunch of grapes and or milk and honey notwithstanding, there's big old scary people there. Uh, and the cities are, in fact, fortified. And we saw the Anakites, giants there. Um, there's a lot of people there in all, in all of these areas. Um, and, and they start freaking everybody out. Verse 30, Caleb then hushed the people before Moses and said, we can do it. Let us by all means go up and we shall gain possession of it, or we shall surely overcome it. And even and interesting to note, and, and we might very well talk about this as we get into the verse we have so carefully selected, um, that he's not disputing any of the facts. What he's disputing is the interpretation, which I think is very interesting. He's, he's not combined, uh, confusing the data with the perspective on the day. That's interesting. Um, be that as it may, he says, we can do this. But everybody else says, no way, Jose, we can't. We can't go up against that people. They are stronger than us. Then they spread calumnies, which is a word that we don't use nearly often enough in this world. Rabbi Schatz, when was the last time you used the word calumny? I don't think ever. All right, you should work on that, please. Okay. Rabbi Schatz, do you know what a calumny is? Sorry, silence speaks loudly. No, I said no. I said no. Oh, you said no. Yeah, whatever it is, they spread it uh, about the Israelites, about the land they had scouted, saying this country that we went around and scouted is one that devours its settlers, and all of the people that we saw there are of great size. They are 
They are very uh, big old humans, as they say. Um, calumny, by the way, the making of false and defamatory statements in order to damage someone's reputation. Slander um, is what a calumny is. Okay, uh, don't worry. Hey, we actually made it to the verse we're going to look at today. So we are going to dive into but one verse, chapter 13, verse 33. Visham ra'inu et hanfilim. There we saw the, well, nifilim. B'nai anak, min hanfilim. The sons of Anak, the Anakites, are from the Nephilim. I'll get back to that in a second. And we were in our own eyes as grasshoppers. And so indeed, yea, verily, and forsooth, we must have been in their eyes as well. So just sort of a, a quick vocab thing. Anak means big, like giant, right? Um, and the Nephilim are, if you, if you go back into some of the weirder passages of Breshit, um, the Nephilim are talked about there, sort of these like proto-mythical half-human, half-divine creatures. Uh, bring the weirdness of Torah back because it sure is in there, but, but sort of hearkening back to this, this mythological sense of, of there these, there these huge, strong, powerful creatures there. There are these giants, and we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and so too they saw us. Uh, I have a lot to say about this. The only sort of prompting, I, I was convinced, by the way, that I'd spoken about this verse at Bethan, that Rabbi Schatz and I had taught about it last year, because uh, I love this verse. I think it is one of the most psychologically rich sukim in the entire Torah. Um, I wrote about it in a Taste of Torah three years ago, I found, um, but apparently I haven't, haven't talked about it before. So I'll just say that I think it is relatively rare for the Torah to give us a um, such, such a deep window into the psychology of what anyone in the Torah is thinking or experiencing. Um, and I think this offers a really interesting window into that. that. I have lots more to say about it, but I shan't. I shan't. All right. Let's, uh, let's take some, take some uh, cushy out here, some questions. Uh, I first saw Karen. So Karen, you go first. So <clears throat> above in Verses before this, <clears throat> Canaan, God gave us the, that land, uh huh, and He filled it with these people, right? And then He says, "Go ahead, it's your land. Go in, see what's going on." Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a little trap. Oh, interesting. So, why did God lead us towards lead us towards this land that He was giving us, but then we now, have issues? Now, I understand. That's a joke, that word, but uh, <laughs> that we are challenged. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I didn't mean to mute you. Sorry. Unmute, unmute, unmute. Karen, you're now in the esteemed company. I was trying to move you, you so I could see you. It's love. It's love. I do know love. I was it's trying to move you so I could see you and I mute. I pressed the button. Company. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Anyway, anyway, I do think, yeah. you know, Welcome. have heard God challenges us lots and lots and lots of times. Yeah. Not giving freely, but making us work for it. Yeah. So maybe what that's what this is about. But I, I, I can't get my head around why he gave us the land, but in the land are people who may kill us. Great. So I think there are, as you just mentioned, I think there are multiple times, unfortunately or fortunately, in our Torah that we have to deal with this theology, right? That there, that God somehow actually pushes us towards a scenario in which we might not be successful, um, or one in which we might find ourselves 
somehow, you know, the, the underdogs, right? We might, we might somehow now be in a way in which we're not going to be able to accomplish that which we wanted to accomplish or be able to, uh, to defend ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's a really great point and a theological, you know, conundrum that unfortunately, maybe even still today, <laughs> we think about um, in certain ways. Yeah. And it may also be about faith in God. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, not also. I think it's a lot about, I mean, from, from my perspective, I think there's the psychological piece. And I think this whole um, episode has, is, is very interesting to interpret through the lens of, of faith and trust for my mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, Renee. So two things. One, I, I'm thinking along some of the same things that Karen was saying is like, this is just yet another example of, of God testing us, bringing us like with Pharaoh and Mm -hmm. bringing us to these calamities in this land, you know, how can you bring this to this dry land and you don't give us any food or you don't give us any water? It's another test. But the other part that I was kind of curious about is if he's going to compare, if we're going to be compared to something, why grasshoppers? Oh, interesting. Of all the insects or of all the creatures that we could have looked like and been compared to, why grasshoppers? Yeah, great. Great. I, I don't have an answer. I don't know if Rabbi Shapiro has an answer or not, but it is interesting, right? There are many other, many other, I don't know, creatures that we could have been um, associated with, especially that have actually been mentioned in the Torah before, right? Like in the story of Brayshit, um, you know, why, why not then be connected to a snake, right? Like that was, the, that was kind of the creature um, to be negative, negatively associated with. So the it locus. is interesting. The locusts, even. Yeah, I mean, I think probably um, probably grasshoppers are pretty close to what locusts are, but but yes, just in general, like what are why are we being connected to to a specific a specific creature? Great, uh, Mike. I'd like to try to go to the psychological thing that yeah, great. Rabbi Shapiro is, uh, is talking about. I think when you look, if you see yourself as a grasshopper, I mean, it's not particularly attractive. Yeah. Uh, and so then you're imagining yourself as you must look to the people that are there. I would think that um, you have a pretty poor self-image of yourself. So if you mm-hmm. are in, I would ask uh, as my kushia whether or not that is what Rabbi Shapiro is getting at in the sense that the psychological dimension of this is if you you're not ready you're not ready uh these scouts are not ready to uh to go forward and yeah. um and so that's my question great great i think we are going to definitely get to that that is that is certainly one of the reasons that i wanted to talk about this verse um and i believe that that is part of what rabbi shapiro also finds uh curious about the way that this is spoken about and just interesting that you actually that you picked up on exactly what um i had never I never actually focused on the fact that we first call ourselves grasshoppers before they can call us grasshoppers, right? So we are somehow acknowledging for ourselves they don't, that they don't they don't call us grasshoppers. No, meaning like that we think that they think that we are grasshoppers. Right. Like that our that our perception is only actually based on how we perceive of ourselves. Um which is really, which is not how we tell the story, right? <laughs> so we, we talk about, um, we just talk about the opposite, right? How we were seen, but we don't necessarily talk about the fact that that just came all from our own minds. Um, so I think, I think you're right, Mike, and we're going to get definitely deeply into that, uh, with some of the sources. Ty, will go ahead and then Alan. I'm, I'm sorry if someone already said this. I'm having a little trouble, um, concentrating, but part of where I went, and again, sorry if I'm repeating, is I'm just fascinated by the the Nephilim, yeah. whom we know from early in Bereshus, but it's how would all these generations later, this, to me, not very important group of beings, how would that knowledge be so top of mind? I mean, it, it just... I don't know. It's just why, what did, 
I mean, given that we now, despite Midrashim, don't know that much about Nephilim and who they were, how did they, how is that top of mind for, for these spies in this generation to say, oh, that's what, who they were? Great. So Renee brought up a similar question and um, I think it's interest. It is definitely interesting. And I, again, I didn't find so much on this. It wasn't my focus, but I also didn't see so much on the specific use of this creature. Maybe Robert Shapiro did, but it is definitely interesting in terms of um, why be so specific. And then based on specificity, why, why this particular creature? Uh, Alan, go ahead. Uh I've always been fascinated that the, the, the spies start off, you know, giving a very, you know, good report. They start off saying, well, it's a beautiful land and things, but they have no self-confidence. It's like they've experienced all these great things that God has helped them all the way through seeing the, seeing, you know, the, the, the 10 plagues, being able to cross the Red Sea. And it's like it never happened. They cry out for mana. And they say the food, they, they're crying out again now. It says we'll never be able to defeat them. They have no belief, no focus that anything positive is going to happen. Yeah. And, and it's, and I just don't know. I, I've, it's always so, how can it be that people, if, if those people who, if B'nai Israel who experienced firsthand those intense miracles from Hashem, how can it be for us who we necessarily you know we can yes we can experience miracles each and every day, but not on a level that's going on here that is truly altering life changing in terms of their progression. It is always it's always been one of the things that has very much troubled me about this story, Bene Israel. How can it be so? Interesting. Thank you for that perspective. Uh, okay, Joanna, Karen, and then Denise. Wow, lots of kushio today, or comments. or. Comments. It's a great verse. I I know. I it's a great them. verse. How have you never looked at this before, Shots? Come on. Uh, let's just shame Rabbi, 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 Rabbi Shots. Rabbi Shots. Rabbi Shots. Okay, keep going. Me? No. <laughs> Joanna. You called on me, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So, um... Three comments. One is, I think about in this story, and then my mind drifts to other stories in Tanakh, where, you know, we talk about, you know, the group mentality and group persuasion, right? So here, the golden calf, Korach, you know, and one wonders also if that's, you know, sort of part of the test, like, you know, you have to be able to judge for yourselves and stand up to that. Mm. Two is the phrase, um, the um, B'nai Anak are part of the Nephilim, reads to me almost like an insert into the verse. So suggesting to me that there's like some editing going on here. And then that has me wondering about if what comes after that is part of the original or was that added later by the editor to sort of, you know, ex- kind of explain what was going on here and put, you know, layer a level of interpretation upon that. And three is when we're talking about perceptions, then grasshoppers to me is a fascinating little creature to talk about it. Because if you would ask me, like, what is my perception? Is grasshop- are grasshoppers kosher to eat? From mm-hmm. my general knowledge of like creepy crawly critters, mm-hmm. I would say, no, they're not. But in fact, there's an exception and grasshoppers are not seemingly what we perceive them to be because they are, in fact, kosher to eat. Mm. Interesting. So you think that maybe they based on based on kind of their status (laughs) that we're now being compared um, compared to them, which is an interesting drosh on, you know, then then what do we think of in terms of ourselves Um, and that which we can't. That's that which we wouldn't uh, expect um, from our just general being. That's really interesting. I've uh, definitely never thought about that before. Um, but lovely to have you back because you always bring those really deep perceptions. So I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Karen, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So getting to the psychological part of this. Yeah. It's the it's it's a projection of how we feel about ourselves, we project onto others Correct. and say, oh, that's how much, that's what they think of us. Yeah. 
And I just, the thought that came to me is, we're not Israelis yet. Right. Now, Israelis, my view is strong and this, and they could do anything, and yes, and we'll do Mm -hmm. it. Well, we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. But think of a little kid, right, who's afraid of X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And we say, we'll be right there with you. Mm -hmm. We get on the bike. I'll hold the bike to, Mm -hmm. to, you know, this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And that's how we kind of learn, hopefully, how not to be scared and to see there's a learning process of fear and all that. So, again, you know, the big guy or woman is uh, teaching us stuff. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to say too much on that because I think that's that's precisely the direction that we're going to actually go in. I don't know if Rabbi Shapiro wants to say anything, but um, I think... I think you're spot on in terms of where we're going to, where we're going to take this first. Uh, Denise. So kind of building what Karen said and also what Alan was saying about, you know, and this is always how it was taught in school also like, Oh my God, they saw all these miracles. How could they not believe in that? But, but then maybe that's, that's there to teach us that that's not how you build a relationship. Yeah. And because even, even like, you know, in personal relationships, like, like when someone love bombs you, that's actually a red flag. You know, when someone just love bombing is like, you know, when you just meet someone and they're just all of a sudden like, Oh my God, you're everything to me. And they open up about their whole life and they give Mm. you a million presents, but, but you haven't earned that. You don't know them yet. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so it's, and you're, you know, it's sort of dangerous to trust people in that situation. Mm. And, you know, and so maybe that's like a little bit of what happened too with God and the Jewish people is like, it was a little bit of a love bomb, like the Red Sea and the plagues and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, and then like staying in the desert for 40 years has resulted this thing. It's, it's always marketed as like a punishment, but maybe it was a blessing. Maybe it was a chance to say, okay, let's actually work on this relationship. Mm. And let's give you a chance to have something to hold on to that's real and every day. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought it to relationships because I was talking to my friend who's also a rabbi, the one who I'm here to help um, with her kids. Last night, she has two weddings this weekend. And I mentioned this verse to her because I thought that this actually, as you're pointing out, is a really great verse when talking about relationships. Um, it just, it really, it really does show you that you... That, that you need to still maintain a specific uh, recognition of who you are before you can give yourself completely over to, to someone else. Um, and that if you decide that your perception of yourself is one that, like they are saying here, is like grasshoppers, well, then you're going to end up, be, you know, being down about yourself and feeling small and feeling taken advantage of. And 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 potentially, you know, that is being aided by by the partner, um, but but potentially it's also partially on you for for not being able to kind of see see yourself through the relationship. So I think that it's a really interesting. You took it in a different direction, but that's what also what it made me think about um, in terms of how we continue to stay strong and hold ourselves accountable while being able to grow, obviously, and, and be um, influenced by those around us positively. Uh, but, but being sure that we, that we have that strong foundation of our, of who we are. Uh, Mike, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Rabbi Shapiro. Just a comment on what Denise said. Uh, and, and that is that uh, when you're not familiar with something, you're, you're going to be reticent. You're going to be unsure of yourself. Yeah. And really, they didn't have all the mitzvot. And I'm I'm thinking really about something that Aviva Richman, Rabbi, she said yeah. in in her Hadar Devar today or mm-hmm. yesterday, that that you know when you don't have something familiar or take for instance, I think she used uh, tzitzit. Yeah. And, uh, you. That's you in this partial also. You don't yeah. have that. Uh, you don't have that feeling that brings you in that makes you feel included, and so. It makes you feel small. If you first go to a synagogue and you don't know anybody and you know, know the custom, uh, right. then you feel out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's necessary to 
to get familiar, to to have community there with you to to build that. So, yeah. sure. Um, okay, Rabbi Shapiro. That's me. Great. So, along the lines of what a lot of folks have been talking about, and and it speaks to the grasshopper piece a little bit. Um, I'm going to actually share directly a, a nice a nice little little. I'm I'm helping out with camp today, so in, in case you hear my walkie-talkie, that's that is our summer camps in action. But I'm not going to bring the camera down to show you guys the summer camp. Okay. Um, so this is out of Masechet Sota. Should we talk about Sota? Is that a good topic to talk about today, Rabbi Schatz? Probably not. But it's out. What? Oh, you're muted. But that's probably good. Okay. So. Um, I was just saying that I brought this same piece of text, um, but, but but if we talked about soda, it has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. I know. Um, so in this bit Ogmara, as the rabbis call it, um, in exploring this, the, a verse from just um, one verse up, Rabbi taught, God said, I intended the land to appear to consume its, ha- its inhabitants for their own good. But they considered this proof the land was bad. I intended it for their good by causing many people to die there. Problematic theology. We'll we'll parking lot that for a second. Causing many people to die there so that anywhere the spies arrived, the most important of them died. So that the Canaanites would be preoccupied with mourning and would not inquire about them. They'll be so distracted by mourning that they won't be noticed. Um, I'm going to skip the Job piece because it's a whole nother ball of wax. However, the spies considered this proof that the land was bad and said it is a land that consumes its inhabitants. So I'll just pause there for a second to say, again, going back into this idea that I that I briefly surfaced when talking through this verse, there's there are the facts and there's the way that we interpret the facts, right? So seeing what they're seeing, maybe God didn't do a great job of framing what was happening there, but God's presenting it in a certain way and the Israelites are seeing it another way. Okay. The spies said, and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And so we were in the theirs. And here's a, you don't, you don't meet many people with this name anymore. Rav Misharshia said, Rabbi Shatz, when you have your firstborn child, you must name him Misharshia. Can we work on that? Great. Misharshia Shatz. He gets your last name, it seems. Uh, Rav Masharshia said, um, spies were liars. Uh, okay. Uh, they said we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. That's fine. But to say, and so we were in their eyes, from where could they have known this, right? So, so a lot of folks have started touching on this. It's one thing to articulate your self-image. It's another thing entirely to assume or think you know how other people are seeing you. Um, I actually have no idea how any of you see me. I might think I do, but I don't. Why? I'm not you. The way I see myself, though, might impact how I think you see me, and I might take certain actions because of that. But unless I actually communicate with you, going back to what Rabbi Schatz was saying about how this is sort of interesting fodder for uh, food for thought, um, in terms of talking about relationships, I actually can't know. The only way I can know is I can say, hey, what do you, what do you think of me? Right? How, how do you see me? So how could they have known this? Um, when the Canaanites were having the mourner's meal, right? So building on that, that first chunk, they had the meal beneath cedar trees. And when the spies saw them, they climbed up in the trees and sat in them. From there... They heard the Canaanites saying, we see people who look like grasshoppers in the trees. So so two pieces here. One is the sort of psychological assertion that a lot of us are picking up on, the challenge of the Israelites assuming things. And then the Gemara sort of inserts this interesting idea saying, oh, it's not that they made this assumption. There is this weird little narrative thing that happened. The Canaanites were mourning their dead and they were underneath the trees and the Israelites clambered up into the trees. And all of a sudden the Canaanites noticed them and said, Oh, look, there's grasshoppers up there. That's why it's grasshoppers. That's what's going on there. Now, I don't know the most plausible for what's happening here, 
But A, it's an interesting explanation for why grasshoppers. B, it also gets a little bit into the challenge of the Israelites making this assumption, which I think is really problematic. Um, and C sort of calls into question as to, as to whether that was or was not grounded in fact. I want to add in sort of like another, it's a, it's a slight digression, which for me means it's very focused. Um, in terms of, uh, Alan was asking the question, a couple of other people were, were naming it as well about how can they think this? How can they see themselves this way? How can they be complaining like this, scared like this, given everything that's happened? Um, change isn't linear, you know? Just because I act differently now than I did yesterday doesn't mean tomorrow I won't backslide into the way that I was yesterday. That's not a given, you know? Um, and so I think saying about the Israelites, oh, they should, right, they were slaves, they've been freed, they got Torah, they crossed the sea. Why are they so scared? Well, uh, it's scary, you know? No one's disputing the fact that there's a lot of people in the land. No one's disputing the fact even that they big. You know, that's scary. Change is scary. And it makes it it makes sense to me. It doesn't mean they're the most psycho spiritually advanced folks around. But I think it 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 does make sense to me that it's not necessarily just a given um, that the Israelites are saying, we got this. Let's go. Um, even if there are, of course, other problematic pieces to this. So uh, I could I could talk a lot more about these, but I want to make sure to leave room for Rabbi Schatz, who is not a grasshopper. I just, I mean, I brought the same piece. I didn't bring the whole story. I just brought the piece about, um, you know, that they were, that they were liars. Um, Cause I just think that's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting way of, of framing that, that, you know, being a liar is someone that's not telling, you know, not telling the truth. And yet I think that, very often when someone feels down about themselves, especially in terms of a physical appearance, which this seems to be in terms of strength, physicality, et cetera, et cetera, they're not lying. They're telling you what they, they, they're telling you what they feel and how they feel. And, and though you might see it as untrue, it's still not a lie because it's how, it's how they're actually feeling and what they're actually experiencing. Um, and I know in working with, with people who have had whether eating disorders or some mental health um, uh, challenges, I will call them um, undiagnosed, but you know, mental health challenges that, that very often you can't just tell a person, no, you're wrong. That's not, that's not the, you can't say that's not your reality because it is their reality. It might not be the reality, but it is their reality. Um, and so that, that to me is what really stuck out, stuck out in that. I'm really having a hard time with English today. I've had very little sleep. I'm not used to having two children to look after. Um, oh my God, that sounds exhausting. I mean, how are you, how are you doing? Gosh, they're not my children. Watching Um, kids and working. I know, but so just the general, sleeping on an air mattress, but the general idea of like, you know, being, being, aware of other people's struggles such that you don't have to tell them that they're wrong, but helping them through them. And so it does seem like it was pretty realistic for them to think that they saw them the way that they saw themselves, because how could you think, how could you think otherwise? Um, Sforno actually has a really interesting comment that says they did not bother to harm us as they did not think we represented a threat to them. So again, like they're seeing themselves as less significant, not because they actually are, but they're thinking, oh, well, no one's going to come and bother us because look how, look how bad we are, right? We're, we're so insignificant that why would anybody even try? Um, so I don't know that, that to me was the thing that really, that really threw me off. It's a very different way of telling the story than we typically talk about it. We typically blame the others for saying that we looked like grasshoppers. We very rarely talk about how we, we indicated that for ourselves and believed that into, into I, existence. I it's fascinating that you keep saying how we tell the story. I always focus on this. So this is not news to me, but what, 
when you said that when i me, when i generalize a whole population i'm not usually only specifically talking about you so right, i but when I, you generalize a whole population you're also saying that no one must have noticed this so i'm just saying some of us not have noticed this <laughs> some of us might have noticed like our mafarshin for example uh might have noticed this before but what i was going to say no no they haven't uh, no they, they, they just noticed it last night they wrote all this stuff overnight. They slapped it on Safaria, and now we are able to. Uh... Anyway, what came to mind when uh, I was saying this just now, before I I made her feel bad, is um, I'm a grasshopper. Uh, I don't know, like this idea of of twelve people walking around a land, right, and they're seeing themselves as tiny because people aren't seeing them as threats, like. If you're a well-established society and you see just like 12 random dudes walking around, you're not going to think, oh, my God, 12 people. What are we going to do? Right. You're going to think, all right, well, whatever. They can have some grapes. Who cares? You know what I mean? So it's it's interesting as well that like their sense of themselves is so low that they're like, oh, they how could they not? They're like, they're like almost looking for that validation of, oh, they have to be, why aren't they scared of us? They should be scared of us. They're not scared of us. Oh my God, we must be so lowly. Like 12 people wandering around a land is not a particular threat to a well-established population. Right, but I think to go back, I don't remember who said this, but I think to go back to the statement of like, well, then why did God send us there in the first place? Right? Like that, that, okay. That, that's. Send, I don't know. Us, I mean, send us there, meaning send the spies or send us there as as people. Send us there as a people, right? Like, the, regardless of how many of them there were, my, I mean, it's an interesting take. I hadn't thought about that. But I but I do think that if you are, if you're being sent and being told you're going to be successful by God, um, then then feeling as though you are lesser than, at least to me, seems to be more deeply rooted than just there are only 12 of us. Yeah, I would, I would say, I think those are two slightly different things. I think one is the experience of the 12 spies and their sense of how big or small they are. The other is the question of having faith, trusting that they'll be able to enter the land and be successful. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be really difficult, mm-hmm. um, which are, which are related. Um, but I, I think, there's and and yeah i mean why why it's the promised land and it's just that simple helpful okay people. there are lots of hands so Denise, that my, is Aaron, that a helpful political take is that a, is that a good uh is that a, just throw that out in the hopper today as well hopper ah hopper very okay. good all right very Denise. good hopper is the is the lead single from the the Masharshias. thank you denise for catching that band name i almost missed it Masharshias. <laughs> No, Rabbi Shots is not entertained by my aunt. I think I should be Matt and the Masharshias. Matt and the Masharshias. Okay, okay. We just don't have that much time, but I want to hear what people have to say. So, Denise, go ahead. So, it's interesting when you say that, you know, about um, people's perceptions and that it's not, you can't just tell someone, well, you're wrong or that's not true because that's their reality. Um, and it seems like that's, that's what, what God did is he, you know, he kind of validated the people's reality because he could have said, no, you're wrong. We're going in. Let's march. And mm-hmm. he didn't do that. He's, mm-hmm. you know, you need more time. You need to chill in whatever it is. Um, and I think it gets presented really harshly in the story, like for marketing purposes, mm. but but when you look at just the fact of what happened, it's it seems kind of compassionate. Interesting. That's a really interesting look at it. And a much nicer one and, and more feel-good one. <laughs> um, Karen, go ahead. I may have said this before. It's like a mantra. Feelings and thoughts are, are automatic. Mm-hmm. Behavior we have control over. Mm-hmm. So although we can see and think and, you know, I'm too small and I'm this and I'm that, uh, I was telling my daughter, just name, give that part of you a name mm-hmm. and tell her to go sit over there for a while when she's with you. 
Mm-hmm. And then you'll, you, you, you acknowledge that she's here, but you know what? Let's put the other side, foot forward. Mm-hmm. And so there is a way to deal with all the feelings and thoughts, which don't say that's who you are totally. Mm-hmm. That's one, of the, one of the most memorable and impactful teachings I got on the meditation retreat I went on, just as a reminder, once long silent meditation retreat years ago, uh, back when I was even louder, um, if you can believe it, but one of the, one of the most impactful teachings was very much along those lines, Karen, that your thoughts are just your thoughts. They're not necessarily true assessments of the world around you, right? Like we get habituated that my thought is automatically true, um, but it's just a thought. And thoughts ebb and flow and change over time. And I think, you know, your point about separating thought from behavior, that's part of what makes us people, right? Is that hopefully we have the discipline and the ability to differentiate between the immediate thought or the immediate impulse. And that's what makes us grown-ups, not people. Well, some of us. Right. It has to be a grown-up thinking person. Yeah. Sure. That makes sense that, that, that that's part of what maturity is to be able to know when to pause. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Alan. We began with the, with the machlok at whether it should be shlach or shlach lecha. <laughs> and it really is important here. It says to, because if you say shlach, it means, okay, you're going to go and you're going to be able to conquer it. That's it. Shlach lecha is take for yourself, is as uh, Rabbi Shapiro indicated, it's not, you're doing it on your own for your own accord. I'm otherwise going to grant it to you. Mm-hmm. But the people had doubts. Those doubts are manifested even more so later on. And I think in the Pasuk or two that follows where we stopped, which is one of my favorite Rashis, which said that we're not going to be able to survive because they are Gadol Mimenu. Mm-hmm. They are greater than us. Mm-hmm. Rashi says you can also read Mimenu as greater than him, meaning greater than God. Mm-hmm. So the people had such a low self-esteem that even though they were promised this land, they were, and even though they experienced all these other things, that even the leaders of 10 of the 12 tribes were willing to acknowledge that they were going to be able to be brought into the land. And it's for that reason that the Torah says that these people are not going to be going into the land. That was their punishment for not being able to accept it. And I think many people think it's because of what they did at the golden calf. Mm. Uh, uh-uh. It's for here vis-a-vis the spies that take so place. And it says that when they think that these Nephilim, whoever they may be, are greater than God and they have no confidence that they're going to be able to succeed, then their mission for Shlach Lecha turns out to be... A- a disaster for them. Hmm. Very interesting. A nice, beautiful drush. Uh, Joanna. On a week when we're talking about language and perception and how that affects our thoughts, I think it's worthy to note that we keep referring to the 12 spies, but nowhere in our Parsha are they actually called spies. What we're doing is layering onto this week's Parsha the retelling in Devarim, where they are called spies. All they are um, are scouts. And um, as we were sitting here, I remember an incredibly funny Devar Torah a friend of mine did on this week's Parsha, where he started by writing a little playlet where he pulled up his son to help him. And he was Moses going to present to the Shin Bet this spy mission of like 12 people marching around the land together, that's not a spy mission. A spy mission is what we have in the Haftarah this week. The two spies, they're secretive, they're hiding, they're eavesdropping. Um, So it's really interesting, you know, how does our perception of what happened change when we refer to them as spies and not scouts? And how, you know, how did the Deuteronomy version happen? Was that Moses's recall of the event is that what Hash- how Hashem told Moshe to recall the event, mm-hmm. and then you know how that affects like Jewish history forever in terms of this episode. Yeah, yeah, that's great, and I think um, it's it's interesting for us to also 
um, like when we talk about Abraham and the angels, right? We often talk about them about them as angels because that's what they, we want them to see them as, but actually they're just people, right? And so how are we how are we throughout Torah? How are we um, kind of uh, influenced by the way in which we tell the story, and that then defines for us who either the characters are or the outcome of the story. Whereas if we just look at the text, right, does it tell us actually a very different narrative that we could be we could be following along? Um, Taiwo, last thing, and then we will have Rabbi Shapiro kind of close us out here. Um, Karen's comment reminded me of something. Yeah. Um, the thought action, but in this case, it's action thought, which are the very robust psychological studies that show, and they're robust peer reviewed, you know, all those things that if human beings are asked to smile and use the muscles in their face, that their mood improves. Yes. And the way that I think that relates to the Parsha actually, and Karen reminded me is that rabbinically, one of the things we're supposed to do as Jews and sometimes even bend over backwards is give the benefit of the doubt, Mm -hmm. like come up with the most convoluted excuse or something for why even a bad guy might have a good reason for doing something, which can be very difficult, but Mm -hmm. certainly in day-to-day life, if we try giving benefit of the doubt, at least in the beginning, I think it makes interpersonal relationships easier. So maybe one way to look at the connection of this Parsha is that wandering the desert, they had to learn how to give things the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Because this, and whatever that Nephilim thing is, but certainly a land that eats whatever, that's not giving the land the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But I think it gets better later in the, later in the Torah. Yeah, yeah. Rabbi Shapiro, you can have the last word. I don't know if anybody can hear, but E-I-E-I-O is happening very loudly a few doors down. So I'm going to let Rabbi Shapiro... Uh, <laughs> take take the final final a gross away. a gross misspelling of farm what old mcdonald had a farm f-a-r-m not b-i-e-i-l that's not how you spell farm true it's a joke i'm making it i make jokes uh, sometimes like I don't, I don't understand what that has to do with anything but yes okay go farm, ahead. pronounced e-i-o it was a joke i can i'll explain it later um first of all my friends an announcement about our class after next week, we are going to take a indefinite hiatus. So I'm sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so just, just giving y'all a heads up. There will be opportunities where Rabbi Shatz will continue to teach. I will continue to teach. You will get to see me torture her plenty of other places around the institution. Uh, but just as a heads up, we are going to pause the class uh, after next week for an indefinite period of time. Plus for how long? An indefinite period of time. Do we get uh, a vote? No. We're just trying to we're trying to figure out what it looks like to to you know be able to bring back some of the things that we also stopped um, when the pandemic began. So because Robert Shapiro and I after next or two weeks from today are going to both be away at at certain times. It was already going to be that we were doing one on you know. The solo and then it's going to be the, and then it's going to be in the summer and then Tishrei and, and, the holi- so. and the high holidays. So we're just reevaluating, and we will see we will see what happens. Um, but all of our classes, except for like Rabbi uh, Klickfeld's um, Chumash class and my Midrasha class, like things that I've been continuing on even pre-COVID, um, those will continue. But then certain things that started just because of COVID, we're just trying to reevaluate how, where, when, all those kinds of things. So but will our vote will our vote help you reevaluate? You're more than welcome to vote. It's not really a democracy, though I feel badly saying that today. Um, but uh, but you are welcome. You're welcome to vote. <laughs> yes, yes, Harris. It's all your fault. You came too straight. And it's like, ah. It is definitely not. It is definitely not your fault. In fact, we were a little bit swayed to potentially even continue because you and Joanna were, <laughs> were here. So, uh, Look how anything... many people from out of state you have coming I to your know. class. I we know. Know. Okay, I really have to go. This is lovely, and we don't feel super guilty right this second, though we might next week. Um, but Okay, so my bow. What I was sitting here thinking, 
as you're talking about not the spies, the scouts. Thank you, Joanna, for that clarification. It's an important one. Is that all things considered one out of six ain't bad? Given everything these people have experienced, given the fear, given the uncertainty, I would I would flip this around. One out of these six scouts saw everything that was happening and said, hey, we can do this. Um, which in a really tough, challenging, scary situation to have 16 plus percent of the people involved say, hey, we can do this. Um, not bad, actually. Um, the, there was a really, really interesting article by Dr. Gene Shapiro that just got sent out this morning. One of the co-founders of Orote, which does um, some really interesting Jewy stuff uh, outside Chicago and online. Um, and she was exploring this idea. I haven't really, I'm, I'm going to put uh, a link in the chat to the article that she referenced, which I have not read in full yet, but this idea of socially distributed cognition that we, we don't just think for ourselves that we sort of put our heads together um, and we think collectively, which is not to say that we can see ourselves the way other people see us, but in terms of asking and trying to answer the question of, um, the ways in which our thoughts can impact the thoughts of others for good and for not so good. Um, and how like calumny was spread, right? Because that thought was kind of a runaway train. But then the inverse is also true. That, that it's hopefully possible as well for the um, ways in which we're able to separate out thought and action and the ways in which we're able to see the world as it actually is and the way we're able to put good stuff out in the world. Um, it's possible in the positive direction as well. Um, and, and so that, I guess that's, that's the bow for the day, right? That we need to be careful and mindful about how our thoughts can lead us astray and not necessarily be active, accurate interpretations of the world around us. That's true. And if even in such a desperate and difficult time, right off the bat, 16 plus percent of people can say, hey, here's a positive way of approaching this maybe we can learn something from that as well. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.